0: And welcome to The Schism. This podcast is all about critical thinking, dot connecting, the nature of reality, and trying to uncover the truth about the world we live in, society, who we are, and where we come from. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Schism. Today I'm joined by my co-host, Adam. Welcome back, everyone. And we're going to continue our breakdown behind the new Matrix Resurrections movie.
1: Yeah, we're going to pick up from where we left off in our previous episode, the red pill. This time around, we're going full blue pill. Yeah, we're going to look a little bit more into the
0: Resurrections films. Warnings, spoiler alert! Yeah, there's going to be some serious spoilers, just like in the previous episode. We're going to pick the movie to bits, to be fair. So, if you haven't seen it, fast forward now. (laughs) Later, we're going to talk about how a large percentage of the human race society in general has been blue-pilled to the max, and a lot of people are even now acting as the self-appointed agents of the Matrix and policing others and keeping them trapped in the control system of our reality. And we did see a lot of comparisons in the movie to the time that we're living in now that we want to go into after we carry on from where we left off last time, which was pretty much at the start of the movie. Yes. Now, at the very start of this movie, you see the matrix code just like in the first movie. But this time around, it's a little different. There's actually some code rising, obviously, to symbolise the resurrections, like we said in the Previous episode. A new Matrix. But after you see the code, you see a clip of the Warner Brothers logo. And that's all kind of green. Yeah. It's yeah. got the matrixy look and feel. And that's that's important too, because Warner Brothers are actually in this film. The film is so meta. Yeah. And Warner Brothers actually exists as a company within the new Matrix. Yeah. The fake world within the movie. And in the movie, Warner Brothers are telling... Thomas Anderson, that he has to make a sequel to his trilogy
1: of games that he doesn't really want to make. And it's like an exact reflection of the situation between Warner Brothers and Lana Wachowski in real life. Yeah,
0: because she she had it laid out to her, look, we're, we're going to make this movie no matter what. You're either on board or you're not. Obviously, you don't want someone else to butcher your what? series of movies <laughs> and your work that you've put so much into so, uh, there, there is, I mean, there's definitely a lot of kind of like bitterness there. Yeah, yeah. And it's expressed through the
1: movie, which I think is great. I mean, I'm not sure how happy Warner
0: Brothers would have been about it.
1: After the film, I wonder if they'd seen Lana Wachowski's all little hidden messages and little stabs at them and been like, hey, Lana, I mean, we were happy you did the film, but we're not really happy about all this anti Warner Brothers shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Kind of crazy that she was allowed to get away with that in a sense. The whole storyline in the movie is ridiculously meta. And I definitely don't think it's a coincidence that the movie is so meta at the same time that Facebook's changing its name to Meta and the Metaverse is now going to be a thing, like we talked about in our Metaverse episode. Yeah. The Metaverse is basically the first iteration of The Matrix. It's like version one of yeah. a matrix yeah, in yeah, our yeah, reality. Yeah, in our
1: reality, the Metaverse is going to be Matrix 1.0. Yeah, or like zero point one. I mean, it looks pretty shit. It's
0: not like it's not like the the Matrix, is it? It's more like GoldenEye on, on, on the N sixty
1: four. I mean, I like GoldenEye. <laughs> it's not
0: quite there yet, but you know, you've got to start somewhere. Metaverse is the first rung on the ladder to building our own prison for sure. So everything about this new movie is like a mirror of the first movie. And the very first Matrix movie even starts exactly the same as this movie. It starts with like a voiceover from the crew of a ship. In the original movie, it's the Nebuchadnezzar. In this one, it's Bugs on her ship. And then Bugs says, this is old code, but it feels familiar, talking about Neo's game. Then, obviously, Morpheus, who's, who's an agent now, approaches... In exactly the same way as Smith did, he says the same line that Smith did, like, your men are already dead. So there's so much, like, there's so many similarities. Apparently, if you go through the two movies, like, when Neo's having the fight with Smith, it's exactly the same point in the new movie as it is in the previous, like, when he's fighting him and and bashing all the walls apart and stuff. And there's quite a few moments like that within the movie. It's, like, dead on the same time, the same type of thing is happening. So this isn't just like a reboot. This is a, a this is considered. It's it's supposed to be so meta that it's like a distorted mirror of the first. They, they played yeah. off this idea. It's it's a really a social commentary on reboots and reboot culture in in general, and this kind of obsession that we have with nostalgia has kind of taken over cinema mm. and kind of completely like drained cinema on the whole, of new exciting ideas and new titles, they just regurgitate the same stuff out over and over again. And they obviously think, well, people will lap it up, but it's really soulless, and and it kind of leaves you feeling, like, just empty, doesn't it? It's a social commentary on, like, the state of Hollywood cinema and franchises that just go on and on forever. Like, you know, some things are just completely... Like, the memory of them just seems like it's been raped and just dragged through the mud. And <laughs> remember South Park done this whole
1: thing, like, George Lucas, like, raping Star Wars yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. When they kept bringing up the, uh, the new trilogies and they just wanting them to leave it be.
0: Yeah, but the studio's bank on our nostalgia and familiarity is a guaranteed money earner at the box office. So rather than coming up with new titles, you know, they, they don't want to take any risks. Even Morpheus in this new movie turns to Neo and says, nothing comforts anxiety like a
1: little nostalgia. Mm, that was a good scene.
0: And and it reminds me of, like, the member berries from South Park.
1: <laughs> member? <laughs>
0: member? And they're always talking about, like, these memorable moments from the original Star Wars movies. Like, remember Chewbacca? Remember, Remember that? <laughs> like, and it, and it's a, obviously it's a social commentary on the fact that the new Star Wars movies were totally terrible, but they were just playing on people's
1: nostalgia. Yeah. Well, bearing in mind also that trilogy, the original trilogy, was quite old. Very first Star Wars film came out in 1977. So when they come to do the second trilogy, good bit Not of time. Old time yeah. But enough for them to go. Everyone still remembers and loves Star Wars.
0: In that episode of South Park, the member berries suddenly kind of switch to like making these conservative and like racist comments like they're not just saying like remember star wars like they're saying like, remember when marriage was only between a man and a woman remember when there weren't so many mexicans remember ronald reagan remember <laughs> and you're like whoa 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 <laughs> but obviously it was like a comparison to like well not, not only are we being hit with all this nostalgia culture all the time and these this reboot culture, but at the same time, it was Trump's America, and Trump was coming out with all this kind of old racist rhetoric, and even his whole slogan, like "Make America Great Again," mm. He's just obsessed with the past. Yeah. Remember when America was great, and remember when like things were different, and politicians were honest, and and it's all just a load of crap because you're what what you're really getting people to do is like remember a time that never was. It's like looking back with rose-tinted glasses and saying, oh, yeah, things used to be so great or whatever. It's like, no... I remember like segregation was happening
1: in America and how racist it was and I, how th- I th- think that's part of the blue pill experience they try to remind them how thin- great things were and they're like I don't know we were still lynching black people in the 40s or something you know like so I think that's part of the, the blue pill definitely yeah. yeah
0: it's like blue pill in a nation to think that things were really good and we need to regress mm. we need to go back it's like the only <laughs> we, we should just be moving forward yeah. Like, what, why, what is this obsession with going back all the time. Now, it must have been quite frustrating for the Wachowskis because they did make a lot of other cool movies like Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending, like V for Vendetta, because which is based on their screenplay. Great film. But obviously the demand for them to make more Matrix movies must have been massive, and that's what that's what the fans want. Yeah. And I think that's expressed through things like Neo's friend Jude, who's like a complete fanboy and just really clingy and yeah, annoying.
1: He, he sort of supplements Thomas's ego like Neo's ego he supplements it but also keeps him hammered down by this is your only one good thing you've ever done you brought the world this matrix game anything else you do besides from that like this new game that Thomas is working on binary that he just can't finish taking forever to Well the it game on. the game series is called the Matrix. Six, six, yeah. I think binary is like what powers it, I guess. Yeah, but it's like the thing on the side that they're sort of still trying to make bigger and better, aren't they? And, and he says, well, you should leave that alone. What we really need to focus on now is this. Like, Oh, Ooh. is that
0: right? Is binary like
1: a new thing that he's working well, on? Well, yeah, because he has the programme on the side of it, doesn't he? And in, in the whole point was that, oh, well, he'd been working on this for a while. Like he, when he goes into the office and has his first meeting, when we first meet Smith, for the first time. So Agent Smith's been written into this Matrix as his boss, who's also called Smith, which is quite ironic. (laughs) But his boss sort of says to him, you know, you you had a great run with the Matrix trilogy, but the current project you're working on is taking too long. We finally had the call from upstairs. Ah, And and that's when they say to him.
0: Right, because I thought maybe binary was like, so say, for instance, the Matrix game that's about to come out in our reality on the PS5 is powered by Unreal Engine. Yeah. I thought binary was maybe the thing that was powering it. No, I think... You think it's his new project it's, it's that's it's been
1: put on hold because yeah. they just want another Matrix. Matrix. Uh, well, that, that's even more like the Wachowski situation. Exactly, right? yeah. exactly. So you just like you said, I mean, you can imagine after they had this great period of making some really good films, I mean, be from the, the letter was right up there, but be constantly being told by Warner Brothers you have to do another one, you have to do another one. It was the same for, it got to that point for Neo, ill Thomas in the Matrix film, where it got to the point where two years had passed, he couldn't finish his current piece of work, and people were crying out for another Matrix computer game because his previous trilogy was so successful. You can understand why the call would come down from up high, just like the Wachowskis. It's like constantly just prodding, Mm. prodding away. I mean, how long has it been? Over 20 years. Was it 2003? Yeah, two, I think the last one in 2003. Oh, sorry, since the last one. I think the last one came out in 2000. Sure. The very last one was 2003. It's nearly 20 years. Nearly 20 years, even since the last... Not the first, mm. but the last Matrix Company come out. That's a long time for Warner Brothers to be banging at the Wachowski's store.
0: I mean, they better not wait another 20 years, otherwise Neo's going to be in a wheelchair. <laughs> no, Bugs, Bugs even says... Uh, There's a line where she says, the events in the Matrix are the same but different, which reminds me straight away of reboot culture. Also reminds me of the t-shirts in Thailand, same, same, but different.
1: I've got one of those t-shirts on the front, same, same, on the back, but
0: different. (laughs) (laughs) And For anyone that doesn't know, that's where they sell all the knockoffs on the market stalls Mm. and that's their like catchphrase. That's it, selling. Same, same, but different
1: because someone will be like, hang on, is that... Ralph Lauren, uh, the horse looks a bit different. Uh, no, no, same, same, but different. Or it'd be like the other things. It'd be like you'd get a pair of sunglasses on a stall and they'd be like, say Ray Bans, it'd be like Ray Benz. Yeah, and and you're they'd be like, like Ray Benz? And he'd be like, no, no, same, same, but different. <laughs> and that's become such a
0: like, piece of popular culture that now people are wearing T-shirts with same, same, but different written on it. And everyone there knows. If you know, you know. If you know, you know. But um, yeah, that that kind of reminds me of reboot culture. Oh, it's the same, but it's a little different. It's Turtles, but now they're all CGI. You know, it's, a, as the Gnostics would say, a bad copy. It's kind of funny. It's like the original Matrix started with talking about simulation theory and us living in a matrix of lies. And then this one, Matrix Resurrections, is a social commentary on reboot culture. But what is reboot culture? It's like a bad copy. Yeah. Like a worse simulation of what came before. So as we went through last time, Bugs breaks into the matrix to try and free Neo but instead, she has a run-in with Agent Morpheus, agent Morpheus. <laughs> who is a uh, compute program designed by Thomas Anderson subconsciously to wake himself up out of the Matrix. And after going through countless simulations... As Morpheus, as an agent of
1: Morpheus, he, Morpheus has then come to realise through these repeated simulations, these loops, that he is not who he thinks he is. Exactly, yeah. So he's he's broken
0: out of the matrix but because he's just a computer program he's just a sentient being when he comes into the real world he looks like he's made up of like thousands of ball bearings like one of them things that used to put your hand in with the uh, your metal the makes, little makes your face
1: those metal things you pop against your face and then your <laughs> your face is imprinted on the other side of all those little metal pins
0: yeah so now they can Essentially like free programs from the Matrix and they can appear in this reality as like an avatar. And that's how Morpheus is in the real world. In the Matrix, he appears
1: as a a suavier version of his old self, that's for sure. It's
0: quite good that he's not, but because he's a different code, he's a different Morpheus. He's not just doing an impression of the original Morpheus played by Larry Fishburne. Fishburne. In the original, he's got a he's got a different kind of flair. I wonder if that's because his code is mixed with Smith. But then again, you know, as we said, he's he's younger than the original Morpheus. He's uh, not been through the same trials and tribulations,
1: so he's not been kind of hardened and worn down mm-hmm. yeah, by like, the see, things he's seen. Yeah, like the like old Morpheus, the real Morpheus in the first film. I mean, he'd seen... I see them liquefy the dead. Yeah, right. You know, so he's a bit of a troubled man. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Sentient Morpheus is well. He's kind of quite cool. I liked him. Yeah,
0: and and you know he he can be cocky because he can't really be killed like in the same way
1: that original Morpheus can. So he's kind of untouchable. (laughs) (laughs) But and he struts around like it. He does. But this is the great scene. Obviously they. They're breaking them out. I think it's pretty funny when she red pills him and he already knows that he's going to take the red pill. Like we said before, the, the choice is just an illusion. I love the first scene that actually bringing in after what I'd argue was a great opener for a film. A little bit of a shoot scene, storytelling, give you a bit of the backstory as well. And then just bang straight in, Keanu is in the analyst's office. The first scene you see Neo in, Thomas Anson, is in a psychiatrist's office. The analyst has got, like, the blue shades on, so you know he's yeah. trying to keep him locked
0: in. It's his job to make Neo think that he's delusional and everything that he's seeing is, like, warped fantasies that yeah. comes from trauma of being so stressed and overworked. Yeah. And every time they reset the Matrix, basically he ends up sitting back in that analyst chair, Yeah. going over what happened and being told why it wasn't true, why it didn't happen. And, of course, his... Deluded fantasies, they can always just blame it on the game. Well, what you've just explained, you live in a simulation. I mean, That's just describing your game. Exactly. Sounds like to me,
1: you're stressed. <laughs> yeah, right. Have some blue pills. Have some blue pills, which we find out that the analyst is giving Neo. Yeah. And this is because Neo is such a power... He's so powerful, his energy within the Matrix, he has to be constant. And other people can be blue-pilled by their devices. They can sit around glued on their phones... In the matrix, and that's how they're blue-pilled. Whereas he has to be physically blue-pilled by the analyst and and told him these pills are to help him with his anxiety because he's so powerful, he could just wake up and break himself out. And that's the same in real
0: life, because a, a lot of people sometimes that are put on medication, it's because they feel too much. Yeah. And I think from Lana Wachowski's point of view, this probably came from a direct experience that she had while she was transitioning, you know, people telling her that she's deluded and having to explain and justify her thoughts and feelings and probably being because when you think about it, she came out quite late in life. Yeah. Now, was that because for years and years or for decades she was being told that actually the way she was thinking was deluded and I know for a fact that if someone Wants to fully transition, they have to, you know they have to jump through a lot of hoops.
1: Oh yeah, they, they they have to get everything signed off by doctors, medical professionals. You have to live as a woman a certain way. You have to almost do a checklist. Have you done this to prove yeah, to right. us that you? Which can... makes sense. Yeah, I get that. Certainly, but at the same
0: time, imagine if you had a whole society telling you you're crazy because you feel like a woman trapped in a man's body, but. That is the reality of your situation. Mm. You can see the similarities here. I mean, obviously, even in the first trilogy, I'm guessing there's a lot of cap nods to the idea of transitioning stuff, but it was a lot more pronounced in this movie, the comparisons. Obviously, it's a lot more blatant now because both of the Wachowskis have transitioned, but... Yeah, I mean, we did make a little joke that Lana looks kind of
1: cool, like the, the you know, well, like she's,
0: funky pink hair well, and the dress sense and stuff.
1: A, if there's a tra- if there's like a model for someone who has transitioned, you look at Lana, and, and she has Lana's now got you know the retro look, the the stripy stockings, that crazy like orange and pink hair. Yeah, right. She's definitely got
0: her own like style
1: going on and stuff like that.
0: Meanwhile, the other Anna, Anna oh. just looks like a man in a dress. I mean, it's like, not to be too offensive there, but the difference between them, it's like, well, one's taking it a lot more seriously than the other
1: one. I wonder if Anna saw all, like, the, the attention Lana was getting for transitioning, and she was like, oh, I want a bit of that.
0: Yeah, right, it kind of feels like that, like jumping on a bit of a bandwagon. It's clearly not, because I don't think anyone would go through all of that for nothing, but I just we did have a joke about, like... Because obviously it's just Lana doing this new movie. It's like the other one, Anna, she's just at home with like a frilly apron on, like
1: fucking hell. All this for nothing. <laughs> they gave a Bugs, obviously it's our main protagonist, really. She's got short blue hair, quite tomboyish almost.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a more sort of diverse cast in that respect. It was more LGBT LG friendly, it's that
1: time around. It, maybe you could argue, maybe our audience even argues, like well, these times are changing. You know, the, the hero or the main protagonist of the film doesn't have to be a butch white man, you know, which is true. No, I, and they've
0: always had strong female characters they in have, all of The Matrix. They, they have. Film, Trinity, Trinity you know, so Trinity it definitely you know, doesn't no, feel. Yeah, yeah, of course. it yeah, doesn't, doesn't feel false. So, like, you know, sometimes. It's a placement. You know, sometimes they sort of reboot stuff, but now it's got an ethnically diverse cast. And, and you're just like, well, it's just done in such a bloody obvious way, but it doesn't feel jarring with the Matrix no. because they've always had strong female characters.
1: And she, and she holds her own. I think she is pretty good, and good in it. I mean, I don't recognise that actress from many films. Yeah, I've like never seen, I've never seen that
0: actress before.
1: So what? So where did we get to? We already move straight into sort of Thomas's life, don't we? Because they show us. Him working for his company. They even show the regular coffee shop that he goes to, which had a funny name. Yeah, it's yeah. called uh, Simulate. <laughs> and again, the logo, I think it's like
0: the top of a Roman pillar, but it looks like the green lines, the lines going down, down. Like, yes. like, like the code. Lots of hat tips there. Too. And Neo's always in this cafe. it has got basically like a Starbucks-looking place. But it's quite funny because he's obviously always drinking the coffee. What does coffee do? Wakes you Keep up. You're awake. Mm-hmm. He wants to wake up. And this is the place where he meets Trinity. They're, they're kind of kept close together in the opposing pods,
1: like we talked about last time. They're We're kept they've been kind like of local to each other because they both go to the same coffee shop. Mm, but they're not, obviously, really meant to meet. That's the whole point. But he always sees her, doesn't he? He always yes. sees her. And he always... I think he meant... He's a bit of a stalker. He's a bit of a stalker in that way. Yeah, because she's a married woman, so it's a bit know, weird. He is a bit of a loner. We find out, obviously, within the new Matrix... That everyone's heard of Thomas's game, The Matrix. Like everyone, like yeah. even if you haven't played his Matrix trilogy, you've still heard of it. So yeah. it, we we have to understand that the game that he made or he had made was huge.
0: He's almost presented as being as famous as someone like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos yeah. or someone. He's not just a famous game developer. This this guy is. Famous period, and it's quite interesting because you get glimpses of Neo's avatar, which is actually different each time. There's there's a shot you get of his reflection in the glass when he's in the coffee shop. There's another shot later on in the movie where he was trying to commit suicide and he walks off a building and he's completely bald. And I thought it was quite interesting. He looked like Jeff Bezos (laughs) in in that moment. I was like, "Fucking Jeff Bezos!" (laughs) I wish he'd walk off of the side of a building. Would have done everyone a favour. Yeah. But he didn't drop. <laughs> he just involved. Just like Bezos. Kept up by the cabal magic energy. <laughs> no, I think Bezos would crack his head like Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> He'd spill over like a can of beans. But yeah, I thought I thought that was quite interesting. I wondered if that was sort of done on purpose, you know, oh let's make him look
1: like a you know, a Jeff Bezos type. All through the film, we do get those little looks when Neo passes something, and he never seems to really notice, but you as the film viewer are shown. You even get a shot of Trinity one time, and she has a different reflection as reflection as
0: as well. And we got the impression that each time the Matrix was reset, they come back as a different avatar than before. Exactly. And it's obviously getting reset all the bloody time because every time there's a glitch, every time something happens that could wake Neo up, they just go, right, reset it back to the start. Suddenly he's he's like awakening from this hypnotherapy with his um, analyst telling him that it was all a dream or it was a, another deluded fantasy. But it's actually been the Matrix resetting. And this, this whole reset idea, I mean, it has to be linked to the Dude. to the great reset. Maybe they should have um, casted Class Schwab as the analyst. It would have been a lot more menacing. This new Matrix is even more powerful. <laughs> the fourth Industrial Revolution Matrix. The Great Reset.
1: But, yeah, I mean, I always thought that was a pretty humbling scene when he has to sit down with his boss. The boss has explained to him that he's got to make this, this new game again. Remember the scene um, from the first film with the gluey mouth when they arrest... And Thomas Anderson. Yes. And then just for one moment in this new Matrix Resurrections film, Thomas is looking at his boss Smith and his mouth starts to go all like glued up and he sort of starts to have sort of a flashback. Flashback. Which yeah. is, like I said, it's him almost remembering that it did happen. Yeah, his boss Smith actually says a quote, doesn't he,
0: before then, something along the lines of, Oh, you said when we had our first sit-down meeting, it had all the charm of uh, FBI interrogation. <laughs> and then the movie kind of flashes back, doesn't it, to that moment where the Matrix starts to crack and the mouth starts to be glued shut. But you get a few clues that this is Smith. Firstly, his name is Smith. Mm-hmm. They, Again, these uh, designers of the Matrix have no imagination, just like the, the Archons, the rulers of our world, also have no bloody imagination yeah. at, at all. Even what we were talking about earlier, the Trumps make America great again. I mean, that was used by Reagan. Clinton said it. This has been used again and again and again. These people have no imagination. But, um, yeah, there's a bit, isn't there, where Neo first enters the room and his boss, Smith, is looking out the window and he makes a comment
1: somewhere along the lines of, wow, look at it. look at it. Yeah. Marvelous beauty. As he's looking out of the office building they work in, because, obviously, they're quite powerful. They've built up a big enterprise of this computer game trilogy. Yeah. And he's sort of admiring their power. Well, he's it- more, he's sort of looking out the window, isn't he?
0: He's looking out the window at all the skyscrapers, mm-hmm. and he's sort of saying, wow, look at it. Marvel at its beauty. It's so fake. It has to be mm-hmm. real. Now, he's obviously kind of harking back to the N- Neo's trilogy of games and Agent Smith, but that straight away reminded me of Elon Musk in our reality, when he was talking about sending that car into space yeah, yeah, and he made that comment saying, oh, it looks so fake. That's, that's how you know it must be real. And mm. it was like an odd thing to say. And then this quote from The Matrix was almost line for line. Yeah. And we've spoken about the Taliban plane before the fake inflatable aircraft. You know, mm. That's like the same thing. It's so fake it has to be real. Yeah. Well, newsflash. Well, it's fake. It's fake. <laughs> but people will perceive it is just because it looks so ridiculous or just the way it's being presented to them. They like think, well, they wouldn't. They wouldn't fake this. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, of course. They wouldn't have the audacity. This couldn't all be fake, could it? No. They, they they hide it in plain sight. And bearing in mind, we mentioned in the last episode, everyone in this new Matrix is aware of simulation theory because of Neo's game. Mm-hmm
1: but that doesn't you think
0: that would make them break out of the matrix more easily because they're aware of it no, but it's like but a, it's, it's hidden within
1: it's like fiction a, within plain sight it's like that's the giant blue pill for them all it's is knowing this whole idea of simulation theory but actually not believing it not yeah. giving it a moment's thought that is the ultimate blue pill for all the inhabitants of the new matrix it's the same in our reality like
0: people are blue pilled every day because they know certain things like you hear people say it all the time, oh, politicians lie. And oh, well, you know, the papers, they're always lying and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But they believe the politicians and they believe the mainstream media and they do what they're being told, even though they know that they lie. Yeah. And then it, within movies and series and computer games and all these things, again, in our own reality, it's laid out for us
1: to say, hey, this is what the world's really like. But when it's disguised through fiction, people just don't question it. It's the beauty of disclosure through films. I, I wonder, even in that scene, was uh, Boss Smith rumbling Neo a little bit, his consciousness, that old line? Hearing that old line he said about, look at it, Marvelous beauty. It's a throwback, obviously, from it. the game. Well, by, but by putting it right in his face, it's actually preventing him from seeing, seeing it. it
0: yeah. It's the same thing. same thing. I'm going to be ballsy enough to say this to you and you're, you're never going to believe I'm lying, because just like the Elon Musk thing, you think, well, he can't be lying if he said that. It's, it looks so fake, that's how you can tell it's real. That's how they get away with it. It's like Hitler said, the bigger the lie, the more people believe it. When when they're showing it right to your face, you, you kind of think, well, it can't be that, no one would do that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, you wouldn't do that, but these people, they would in a heartbeat, because they've got no shame. And they know by presenting it to you in that way,
1: you will never guess. Yeah. And that that's what he's doing to Neo. It's kind of like a, quite a sick game. It you is. Think about it. I thought it was, I thought it was like mental torture for Thomas being in that office, especially when he says those lines and his face starts getting glued together. It's like Thomas having nightmares. Like yeah. Waking nightmares of his. Yeah.
0: He's just in home. this never ending cycle of like breakdown after breakdown and feeling like he's losing his mind
1: stuck in this hell i was gonna say my favorite breakdown is the next one that comes thomas is leaving the office isn't he and like a fire alarm i think goes off in the building they have to do like one of those sort of you know everyone go out in the car park for 15 minutes yeah there's like an evacuation of the building like you have these all the time so as a normal sort of person he does just go to exit the building but Bing, bing. He gets a text message. Yeah, and it's exactly like in the first movie. It's in the same manner, the fact that he gets a phone dropped to him. And of course it says, meet me in the bathrooms. Yeah, and then he texts his back like, who's this? And then he just gets the text, you know who. And Thomas even says underneath his desk with the FedEx phone thing into <laughs> his ear, Morpheus. So in this one, it's almost like a bit like a throwback as well. The fact yeah. that Morpheus texts him and says, you know who. Oh, it, I mean, it's... More,
0: more than a throwback, is again, almost like an exact similar scene to the first movie at the same kind of time, time. in that yeah. it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, in the first movie, he's got the cool flip phone, remember, like the banana yeah. phone yeah. that shot out. <laughs> Everyone wanted one of those after the make, first Matrix yeah. film, didn't they? Yeah. I had one, but it didn't didn't shoot out in the same way. I'm not sure if they made them, but my one didn't. <laughs> you had to manually do
1: it. It wasn't quite the same, but it was banana shaped. It was curved. A banana-shaped thing that didn't shoot out at the right time. I don't know. Sounds a bit... <laughs> Are you sure you're describing a telephone <laughs> here from the 90s? <laughs> you know, when you think about it, it being banana-shaped
0: kind of made sense because your face is curved. Yeah. So it sat quite nicely
1: on your face. Good point. It's sort of weird yeah. that they've never done that since with anything made it curved. Uh, Everything's just straight. Straight, yeah. Just shows you the creativity of the classes that rule us. <laughs> yeah. He goes into the bathroom, and the first thing you're expecting is actually to see Morpheus, but he's not actually in straight in the bathroom, is he? He's in a cubicle. This <gasps> bit was really funny. Because Morpheus is obviously... He knows the story through the computer game of how the old Morpheus meets Neo and how he conducts himself, like in the room where he gives him the two pills. So... Our new Morpheus is aware of this whole story from the Matrix games. So he wants to introduce himself to Neo almost in a similar way. So he wants a bit of a grand entrance. Like they're in a bathroom. So he chooses to sit in a cubicle, comes out, and what does he say? At last.
0: Exactly the same so thing that Morpheus says, but this time he's just like strutting out of a
1: toilet. Yeah, like bright yellow like goldie suit you know, like a purple collared yeah. shirt. Underneath. And
0: Then he immediately breaks character, like, at last. And then he says,
1: sorry, wasn't
0: sure about the callback. And it, it, again, it's so meta, because he almost completely breaks character at that point, and says, well, I thought I'd give it a go, you know, but yeah. we're in a bathroom stall. So, and, yeah, you know, it, and it, Again, it's like, that's got to be a direct dig at reboot culture. It's like, yeah, we're, we're going to give you the same line from a different Morpheus, but this time it's
1: toilet. Yeah. He's literally in a toilet. He's walking out of a bloody cubicle. I, I like the way that sort of, Morpheus is trying to explain to Neo who he is. And he's like, because he probably, from looking at Morpheus, I think Thomas probably has got an idea who he might be. And he sort of breaks in this whole, you know who I am. You built me. You left me in that loop of that modal that you created. And I kept going, like, repeatedly. Yeah, banging my head. Banging in, my yeah. head against the wall, wondering who I was. Because, of course, he created mm-hmm. an agent, which yeah, is right. totally conflicted with his old code.
0: So, in his head, it's like his computer game character has come alive, just walked out of a toilet, toilet cubicle yeah.
1: after sending him a little text, <laughs> and he's now telling him that he needs to <laughs> take the red pill and yeah, exit the Matrix. Text, and, like... Thomas, this poet, though, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, Keanu Reeves, mouses, actually starts to pretty much have a mental breakdown because he's like, you're not real, you're not real. And he's like, no, you created me, I am real. You created this whole experience for yourself. You created me so I could break you out again of the matrix. Like, this is on you, Thomas. So, and then you've
0: got the crew members, haven't you, like, saying to him, hey, look, we need to hurry up Hurry with this. up! They, they
1: sort of come in in the background because now... The, they did it a few times in this film, right in the beginning scene when Bugs is looking in on the Matrix on the first scene, but we she looks like she's actually in the Matrix. It's like a second wall. It's like a wall that yeah. splits them. So they they look like they're physically in and it, You're not sure
0: if it's, like, just an artistic impression to sort of say to you, look, they are kind of in this
1: world or looking in on it but they're not really there. There, that's right, yeah. But... He sort of getting the his crew members are saying like, come on, we've got to hurry he's up. He's got to the... take the red pill. He's got to, to stop his input-output code like we know from the first films.
0: Well, to... plus he says, do you know how hard it was to hack
1: this mirror? Come on, the, the portal was only going to be open of course, for a while. And long. at that moment, obviously Morpheus points to the mirror in a bathroom and Neo, like, doesn't want him to do it and he hits the mirror and it ripples. And at that point, of course, Neo's, like... He puts his hand through it. His hand right through it, yeah. yeah. And then Neo is, like, full... Actually, I could call him Thomas at this point, but he's, like, breaking down. He, like, this one like, screams and runs out the bathroom because he can't believe the computer character that he thought was fake has actually come to life. Yeah. But then there's this mad... Shootout scene that follows. Loads of bad guys, like agents, all come through, obviously trying to get Morpheus because they know Morpheus is going to try to break Neo out of the Matrix. This is all done actually by the Analysts' guys. The Analysts is actually sent in this swarm, and that's when, of course, when Smith now also
0: wakes up and reveals himself to Neo, like I am the embodiment of Agent Smith. I'm not just your boss. Yeah. I am the character in your computer game that guess what is actually your real life. Life has been hidden from you.
1: Yeah. So even Smith is kind of red pilling Neo as well. Thomas. He's like saying, No, this was all true. Yeah. I was your mortal nemesis. So Smith has revealed himself to Thomas and in the background Morpheus is obviously trying to still get to Neo. But at that moment, the whole scene that you've watched, the fireworks, the guns, it's all just gone. That's the first time in the film but we realised that there is a resetting ability.
0: And that mo- that sort of thing might have happened many times before when there's been a complete glitch out, everything's come tumbling down, it's all been revealed to him, but then this time around they can just click the reset button, he's back in the analyst chair, mm-hmm. and it was all a dream, effectively.
1: Yeah. But, you know, he does eventually break out of the Matrix. I mean, Bugs actually manages to catch up with him again when he's about to top himself. You know, he's actually about to throw himself off the rooftop because after what he's just experienced, he can't... Deal with that from what the analyst has told him in his office. He actually thinks he is going mental. So Neo tries to kill himself. Again. Again. But this time Bugs is there and manages to stop him. And this time she does repeal him. So kind of like at that point we're already aware that now he's going to be waking up somewhere. And you know the whole we had all that great scene when we see our new Neo wake up again in another pod. Oh God that horrific whole nightmare again. Except this time it's a bit different. He's an isolated pod. And they... They break him out, and as he's sort of being carried away
0: by one of their machines like that they're actually working with there's like a sentient that's like helping them, he gets carried over Trinity, doesn't he? Yes. And she's in a opposing pod that is kept at enough of a distance away that it harnesses their energy, the energy they have when they're close together, yes. but not. it's not too close that it causes a... Uh, catastrophic event within the Matrix. Yeah. So he, he sees Trinity, doesn't he? And as he passes over yeah. her, she kind of... Uh, like her eyes flutter and her hand moves slightly. So just Neo's presence there of being like yeah, carried over her kind of even wakes her up slightly. a little bit, yeah. Yeah. You wonder if that had a ripple effect in the reality of the Matrix as well. Because well, she kind of s-
1: starts to awaken a little bit from that point onwards. Well, because he's been removed. Because yeah. he's... Cause but that analysis tells us... So there's know, an imbalance now. You know, know. Yeah, he tells us the whole point of having them both in the Matrix. Yeah, it's, it's the balance, it's the,
0: the duality balance. of it. On, on the craft, he then gets taken to what he thinks is going to be Zion, mm-hmm. but it's actually not. It's a new city called Io. Yeah. And like we explained in the previous episode, Zion has fallen, mm-hmm. but now there's a new city, new <laughs> and improved. <laughs> yeah. And this time it's been made by the machines and people in collaboration and it's a much more sophisticated city they've even kind of made a sky which looks more like the type of sky that we're used to now it's still like a bit of a thunder mess but it's not this kind of hellish dark sky that's like in the first movie and they can grow their own food there it's like a completely different kind of setup isn't it it's a much more like sophisticated progressive city than Zion was and he quickly meets Naomi from the first movie, who's now an old lady. She's old. And they always do this in movies, don't they? They take the original actor and put the old people makeup on them. It never the, looks good.
1: The Eddie Murphy style. <laughs> it
0: never <laughs> looks believable,
1: does it? You're like, oh, that's a young person with old makeup. Uh, well, you know what the funny thing is? It never looks good. We know what Jada Pinkett Smith looks like in real life. But even them making her look like an old lady made me go, she wouldn't look like that when she was old. Pinkett Smith now? I don't think so. They did it in Prometheus as well. Yeah, they Remember? did. Remember, it was like, oh, man, but you could just Guy tell. It was Guy like, Yeah.
0: With the makeup and prosthetic, would you call prosthetics? So. So. <laughs> but it never looks real, because they can never really move their face. Their face. No. So they are like completely expressionless. Every time I think, just get an old person. Just get someone who's
1: old that kind of looks a bit like what that person would look like when they were that age. Actually, maybe it helped Niobe's new character is quite steely and a bit more emotionally withdrawn than she was as the younger version of us, you know, 60 years ago during the events of the first trilogy. So maybe the prosthetics helped her face <laughs> stay in a certain <laughs> grimace, you know. For... Yeah, emotionless.
0: <laughs> it always jars with me, that when I see it in movies. They love doing it. They do it all the bloody time. Why didn't, say in Prometheus, like, get Anthony Hopkins to play the fucking guy or something. Do you know what I mean? Get a really good actor that's quite old rather oh. than just putting prosthetics on him. Because, let's face it, how someone looks when they're bloody 80 or whatever compared to. They might as well be a different person. Might as well be. Sometimes been. you look at a photo that your granddad's showing you or something and you're like, that's you! <laughs> when you were 20, bloody hell. You wouldn't know! <laughs> they already look like a different fucking person. But yeah, she, she kind of like sits down with Neo, doesn't she? And, and there's a great line from General Niobe where she says, have you missed this? Listen. And she just pauses and she said, you forget how quiet it is here and how much noise the Matrix pumps into your head. Yeah. And that's so true with our reality as well. When you go to the countryside or out for a walk or something and you're just away from all the bullshit, you've got your phone turned off or whatever else, that's the only sort of time that you get this quiet and this solace or whatever. In real life,
1: it's just like a 24 bombardment consistently. I mean, if you live in a city, you've got traffic, everything around you is constantly pumping some sort of decibel into your eardrum. Well, you've got that type of noise, but then you've also got this static white
0: noise of just media bombardment and social media and your mm. phone going off. And that's a different kind of noise, isn't it? That's like a brain fog. Mm. You can't even think straight. But I thought that was a really poignant bit in the film. When she said that, there was something about that that really, really hit home. I yeah. mean, I know uh, Russell Brand has got a podcast called Above the Noise. Yeah. And that's obviously what, what he's talking about. It's, he's like uh, meditation. one, you know, what what is, what is meditation? He's trying to get you to that... Point beyond the matrix where you can actually sit in quiet reflection and, and have this kind of
1: well be it solace with yourself, not having to yeah respond, yeah, peace. To, yeah. not have to respond to your phone going off every two seconds in your pocket.
0: You look at people in the COVID era and stuff like they can't think straight because their head's like a bee's nest. It's full of noise and and it gets to the point where it's like an information overload, and then they just stop thinking altogether it's almost like when a computer crashes when you give it too many commands at once. The the sea of information, the, the sea of noise that's pumped into them every day just makes them so overwhelmed that they just go,
1: oh, whatever, you just tell me what, what to think. I think I'd argue, just like in the Matrix Resurrections film, possibly the Matrix we live in, these are the blue pills that we've been given. All this static white noise, all these constant advertisements, these sides you've been told to choose when you don't even know what's going on. This is our blue pill experience. This is the stuff we have been yeah, right. constantly fed to distract us, to keep us away from waking up, you know, the, yeah. no, the noise, as Niobe would say.
0: You have to be against Trump. You have to be for the COVID agenda. And if you don't get jabbed, you're a bad person. If you don't wear a mask, you're a bad person. And now what's the latest thing? Or if you don't stand with Ukraine, you're a bad person. You're constantly being told what side to take, who to love, who to hate. You can't, like we said this in the previous episode, you can't now even say, I don't have an opinion or just leave me alone. Yeah. You have to pick a side. Oh yeah. Even saying, Leave me out of it. Well that's racist or that or Well don't you you, care? You don't want to be involved. Like what you don't care about that Yeah. You have to have an opinion. It's difficult to rise above the noise, isn't it? Because you're forced into getting
1: involved in it. You -hmm. can't even just say, Leave me out of it. Leave me alone. It's another way of like them stopping your red pilling experience of staying on the fence and trying to take a levelled opinion on everything. For them to just try to blue pill you into taking a side. Once you just do that, then you've given it up already, haven't you? If you've just basically not even thought about it and just gone along with someone else, that's not your opinion, is it? That's someone else's.
0: So, Naomi kind of brings Neo up to speed on what's happened and she tells him that there's been an unprecedented time of peace, almost 60 years, but then a new power rose within the machine world and things changed. We know that that new power was the analyst and the new Matrix, but by the sounds of it, not a lot of people leave this new Matrix, that not a lot of people are freed because it is this 2.0 version. It is, you know, more perfected and honed, and yeah. they've kind of almost given up on that by the sounds of it, or well, she certainly has, Yeah. Naomi. And she tells him about the machine
1: civil war that happened. In which we've said before, you know, that how they, some of the sentience, grew a conscience. They didn't want to be plugging humans in, harvesting their energy.
0: They empathised with the humans' plight and they kind of joined forces. But then Nairobi has a lot of contempt in her voice when she talks about Zion. Mm-hmm. And she kind of refers to Zion being in a matrix of its own. And they were stuck in the past, stuck in war. And they couldn't get on board with this idea of joining forces with the machines. Yeah. Again, it kind of reminds me of Elon Musk when he's talking about we have two choices. We either merge with machines or it's us versus them. Yeah. He never gives
1: you a third choice. (laughs) So so we can put the brakes on. Yeah. We've got Neuralink in one hand or Terminator 2, Judgment Day on the other. Which do you want? I think he actually says the genie's
0: out of the bottle and this is the way we're heading. These are the only choices available to us. Obviously, in The Matrix, joining forces with the machines, the sentience in the end, was the best thing to do. In in our reality, the AI would be controlled by the cabal, by the powers that be that already exist, who we know don't have our best interests at heart. Exactly. But when someone like Elon Musk is talking about it in our reality, it's like everything would be controlled by them. Everything would be controlled from a central point. And you look at how things like social media and people addicted to tech is affecting people's mental health now. If they were just... Plugged right into the mains. Forget it. And independent thought, well, that would go out the window because no. you just be
1: controlling what people think. But they'd be in your the, in your head. The, the Matrix is that, isn't it? It's your body on the outside in the real world, and your mind being lost into oblivion in a in a fake reality world.
0: Yeah. So Neo tells Naomi that he saw Trinity's pod when he was being rescued. And therefore, he knows that she's still trapped in the Matrix and he wants to go back and save her. Naomi knows that even Neo breaking out is going to be trouble. If he goes back in to save Trinity, he could risk everything, including war on Io, which she's not prepared to take that chance again. And she says, I don't want the same thing to happen to Io that happened in Zion. Which is definitely telling you that Zion did fall and it was destroyed. But, like in all movies, if you don't see it, can you say with well, certainty? But, well, yeah.
1: they, they 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 showed a very short scene of her taking around the, what was it, like a, a memorial sort of cave? Yeah, right. And yeah. she just got a big statue of Morpheus, and this was like. And to the be candles, yeah. This is meant to be the, the scene where we're to assume that Zion has been destroyed. And
0: she locks Neo up in a
1: tower. And
0: then Neo pretty much escapes straight away, which you kind of get the impression that she sort of knew that that was going to happen anyway. And she's almost like slightly relieved or something that it has happened. But Neo flies off. They go back to the two secret pods and put Neo back into the Matrix to go and wake Trinity up. Mm. Now, Trinity, as we discussed earlier, she's kind of trapped in the Matrix in a different kind of way. She's not a workaholic like Neo. She's just busy, busy, busy with two kids and a demanding husband and doesn't really get any time to even think about breaking out. So, yeah, she's almost going to be like a harder nut to crack. And they even say to Neo whilst he's on the spaceship, like, what if she doesn't want to break out? What if she likes her life here? Because Neo didn't have a family, no. so all he was walking away from was his job, his career, which he didn't really like anyway. Yeah, but she- Whereas she's got a husband, she's got kids. Is she really going to walk away from that? He doesn't know, and Neo kind of says, "Well, she believed in me. She always believed that I was the one. One, yeah. So now maybe it's my turn to believe in her." Yeah. And again, from Lana Wachowski's point of view, I kind of wondered, you know, if she's sort of seeing almost herself as like two people, like the person that she was before and the person that she is now, like she's almost like Neo and Trinity. And then she's kind of saying like the person that, who I was before, like needs to believe in this new version of me, Lana, because this, this version is who I really am, yeah. my my authentic self. And it's kind of like believing in your authentic self enough to make that transition. But obviously in the movie, it's symbolised as Neo and Trinity, duality, masculine and feminine. And we've learnt that actually Neo doesn't work without Trinity and vice versa. But in this film, it's almost like the roles reverse. like Trinity is the one.
1: Yeah, she's the one,
0: yeah. When Neo goes back into the Matrix, he goes to her place of work, and she works at a bike shop. Yeah, which is funny because
1: Keanu Reeves, in real life, owns a bike shop. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's mad on bikes.
0: Yeah, it? right. Well, she's mad on bikes in the film. Obviously, she rides a motorbike in the other Matrix film, So she's still kind of like this badass deep down. Yeah. But she's like really suppressed in this new... Matrix. She probably feels the rush and the adrenaline when she's riding her bike sometimes, but that's probably the most excitement that she ever gets in a drab life. But Neo goes down there to chat to her, but very quickly he's ambushed, isn't he, by the um, analyst Analyst,
1: who has clocked that
0: he left the Matrix and he's he's now entered back in.
1: At the same time he gives Neo the speech about basically, this is why I have to keep you and Tiffany (laughs) Trinity in the Matrix, because when you are in it, it's the best version that it could be of it. He actually gives us, at that moment, the little cutscenes to when he rescued their bodies. And he, he goes a little flashback as he's sort of holding Trinity and, and Neo in a bullet time. And he talks about them how he's the one that helped put them back together. He's like the new power. Like, no, he be safe. Yeah, right. He actually says, doesn't he? Like, I was there when you
0: died. That, yeah.
1: You know, was he one of
0: the sentience? Was he one of the little robots? Was he just a consciousness? That's not really explained but the point is he was there to witness that and he obviously had the idea of hang on a minute what if we salvage their bodies and remake them because there's obviously a a power there that we can harness maybe for a new version of the Matrix. And I'm guessing through him
1: having this idea he then rose as the new power. Because he developed a Matrix that could ultimately enslave everyone quite easily.
0: Oh yeah this is a new more powerful Matrix than ever. People were locked in more than ever and asleep more than ever. A bit like in our own world, where yeah. yes, there are more and more people waking up every day to the lies and hypocrisy that's being shoved down their throats 24-7 by their governments and their media, but a lot of people have drifted way further into the coma yeah. and they're, they're not even interested in being free no. anymore. They're kind of so far gone that they will never wake up. That's That's how it feels. It feels like there's a section
1: of people that just will never
0: get it. Oh,
1: they're like the, they the permanent blue pilled.
0: Yeah, the analyst gives a great speech at that point. I think it's my favourite piece of dialogue from like the whole movie, where he's basically explaining not only how he captured them and put them through all these awful experiments yeah. to get this new Matrix version perfect, but then he goes on to say why this new version of the Matrix. Well, he, is, he explains is how better. they're
1: exploiting the occupants of the Matrix now. How more powerful my Matrix is. That no one would ever think about breaking out of this matrix. It, the idea of people waking up is unheard of.
0: Because now people are completely addicted to technology and he's playing off their desires and fears. Yeah. And like he says, well, we found out that desire and fear basically the same in terms of energy output. So that's what we do now. We just play on people's desire and play on their fear. We make them desire all the things that they want but don't have and fear losing what they do have. Yeah. And that's
1: exactly what they've been doing to people in the COVID era. It's no different. Think about the energy within the matrix for the machines, all that energy coming out of people, yeah. fear, desire, fear, desire. It illuminates all the batteries yeah. of the machines in the real world. It's no dissimilar to us in this world. I mean, think about the energies that we've been giving off. Yeah, right. And whether it's like on on TV, you're, you're either being pumped full of fear from the
0: news or you're having your desires played off. You're like, oh, who wants to be a millionaire or, you know, win this, buy this, consume this. And as well as that, like, you know, you look at something like how people were having the vaccine pushed onto them. It was always one or the other, wasn't it? Desire or fear. The fear side of things is, well, you could get ill and you're putting others at risk and you need to do this because if you don't, bad things will happen or we'll take your freedoms away. But then the desire side of it was, hey, have a free Krispy Kreme, have yeah. a free lap dance. <laughs> if you do this, you can go on holiday again. We will give you these rewards for doing this. It's yeah. like the same tactic. Oh, if one doesn't work, go for the other. But like the analyst said, they're basically the same because if the result is the same, what does it matter? How you got there, whether mm. it is through manipulating desire or manipulating fear, it's the same outcome. And there's some... Great quotes from this bit. Like the analyst said, here's the thing about feelings. They're so much easier to control than facts. And that's so true because it's like what is being played all the time? Your feelings. We live in such a reactionary culture and everyone's feelings are so important. So, like we've spoken about in previous episodes, this idea of things being harmful. Oh, you can't harm my feelings, my precious feelings. Yeah. And everything's so emotionally led. They're trying to get you to condemn Russia and get all this, like you know, hate spewing forth from you. Something must be done. I'm outraged. Like they do that by exploiting your feelings, your emotions. They don't do it with facts. No, because like you said, it's so much easier to exploit and control feelings. Facts, facts are rigid, but feelings, well, you can manipulate people's feelings. There's another bit where he says, like, the sheeple aren't going anywhere. That's the first time I've ever heard the word sheeple used in any movie. No, I mean, that's very pop culture. Straight out of the COVID (laughs) era. The amount of times that I've heard, like, sheeple being said on social media and all the rest of it, but, yeah, never never in a movie. But you know exactly what, what he's talking about. And he says, they want to be controlled. They crave the comfort of certainty. And that is mass formation psychosis. psychosis yeah. That is people. All they wanted in the COVID era was for things to go back to normal. They just crave that comfort. If if I do just what the government's telling me to do, I wear the mask, I keep socially distanced, I lock down, I get the jab, everything will be all right. Yeah. So all they're bothered about, just the, this comfort of like looking towards the government like a daddy. If I just do what... You say, will you take care of me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never thinking for themselves or standing up for themselves or what's right. You know,
1: freedom, no, democracy, not... human rights. No, no, no. I'll just do what I'm told. Just being an obedient little slave. Well, it's the, it's the comfort of the certainty that you think or you believe that if you just do as you're told, then everything will be all right. Hmm, doesn't always work out that way. No. So, in
0: fact, if you look at
1: history, being
0: obedient and being a good person don't always line up. In fact, the opposite. It's disobedience that has destroyed every tyranny in history. Being blindly obedient, especially when you know something is wrong, is just cowardice. Yeah. yeah, so to go back to the bike shop for a second, the analyst says, I was there and you died. And then he goes on to say, I said to myself, here is the an- anomaly of anomalies. What an extraordinary opportunity. First, I had to convince the suits to let me rebuild the two of you, which I thought was kind of amusing. The suits.
1: The suits. I mean, the way he talks about the machine empire is just like a corporation. You can imagine they actually were wearing sort of black suits around a table. Analyst, what have you got for us today? Well, sirs, I'm thinking about rebuilding the Matrix. Yeah, right.
0: And then he goes on to say, resurrecting you both was crazy expensive, like renovating a house. Took twice as long, cost twice as much. (laughs) And all the terminology he's using and the way he's talking about stuff, I mean, there's a bit coming up where he talks about like projections and breaking records. He's talking about it like it's a corporation. I definitely think it says something about not just the machine world in the Matrix movies, but our own world. Our own world, just like the movie The Network states, is just a college of corporations. It's essentially just a corporation. Yeah, so he goes on to say, I thought you'd be happy to be alive again. So wrong. Did you know hope and despair are nearly identical in code? This is what we talked about earlier. We worked for years trying to activate your source code. I was about to give up when I realised, Trinity, it was never just you. Alone, neither of you is of any particular value. Like acids and bases, you're dangerous when mixed together. Every sim where you two bonded, let's just say bad things happened. Now, my predecessor loved precision. His matrix was all fussy facts and equations. He hated the human mind, so he never bothered to realise that you don't give a shit about facts. It's all about fiction. The only world that matters is the one in here, pointing to his head. And you people believe the craziest shit. Why? What validates and makes your fictions real? Feelings. Well, you could kind of say the whole pandemic is based just on feelings. Yeah, everything is trying to... Get to your feelings that save the NHS, because we know how you feel strongly about the NHS. Save old people. We know you care about old people. It's the same with climate change. No, like Save the planet. Do the right thing. They're, they're trying to play off people's feelings the whole time. Not with facts. They're going straight for the guilt, for the shame. Yeah. Religion works the same way. Like Dogmatic religions use exactly the same tactics. It's either guilt or shame, or like the analyst says, fear and desire. He then goes on to say... You ever wonder why you have nightmares? Why your own brain tortures you? It's actually us maximising your output. Turns out in my matrix, the worse we treat you, the more we manipulate you, the more energy you produce. It's nuts. I've been setting productivity records every year since I took over. Again, talking about it like a corporation. And the best part, zero resistance. People stay in their pods, happier than pigs in shit. The key to it, all you and her, talking about Neo and Trinity. Quietly yearning for what you don't have while dreading losing what you do. For 99.9% of your race, that is the definition of
1: reality. Desire and fear, baby. Just give the people what they want. It's true. It's far back as Caesar, where it's bread and circuses, just give them what they want and they'll be fine in their own little world. Where so nowadays it's not bread and circuses, it's little phones, little black mirrors. Well,
0: it's funny you're saying circuses, because if you think about it, the whole way through the pandemic... We still had the Olympics. We still had the Euros, the football. football. Mm. We still had Wimbledon. I mean, that was all going (laughs) on. It was a deadly pandemic, apparently, but they still gave everyone the games. The games, of course. Yeah, which really, going back to the film Contagion, for example, I don't think they were planning their Wimbledon picnics in Contagion. (laughs) When you watch these things as well, so many people didn't have masks on. It was like, The ball girls and the ball boys had masks on. The people playing didn't. Most people in the crowds didn't. No, I know. It was just always like the slaves. Yeah. That's what it felt like. The drones. Or you saw, like, all the world leaders and people like the Queen at things like COP26, and none of them were wearing masks, but all the servers were wearing masks. Yeah, the and there was so drinks, right? many of them things that you kept seeing that were just so unsettling. Or, like, Bill Gates getting out of the limo, or the people opening the doors, they've got masks on, and the people at the front desk of the hotel greeting him in, they've got masks on, but he hasn't. It's just bizarre. Ridiculous. And anyone that can't see the hypocrisy there, I mean,
1: wow you're living in the Matrix. So there was one part that we did actually overlook a little bit. And that was when Neo initially comes back into the Matrix and they have that small factory fight. Those old programmed goons that look like samurai relics. They had the fight with Neo and his team off his ship. And it's the first time in the film that we've seen anything of the second film pop up, which is we see the mirror of Ninja appears. Right, yeah. I mean this scene It part, was mental. Uh, it the, was so crowbard Yeah, I mean they the fighting wasn't necessarily that good. We even said it possibly didn't even even need to be in the film. It was almost like they put it in the movie just
0: to have just at least a cap nod to the second film and, and a major character in it. Because like we've said earlier, the second movie was just not good. It's the worst out of all of them. And yeah, this was just like, oh, better put the, <laughs> better put the old Merovingian in there. Yeah, yeah. And he looked like a complete tramp, like the hobo king. And then his goons, like you say, they look like DIY samurais or like the the Zoolander derelict campaign. Like they were like yeah, yeah. warrior hobos dancing around the place. It's like, what is going on here? And whilst this fight's going on, the Merovingian... Is going crazy in the background, just ranting off. You can barely catch what he's saying. Some of it's in French as well. Because if you remember in The Matrix 2, he was this very suave French diplomat kind of looking guy. But in this film, like you said, he's like a long haired, moth eaten looking hobo. Yeah. He looks like the kind of homeless person that's in like home alone movies. Classic New York hobo, like nowhere makes homeless people quite like America.
1: No, no, he he had a sense, he had definitely the sense of the woman that had all the pigeons on her head about him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and he's just ranting off going crazy. A lot of it you can't even understand, but we've got a few bits marked down here. He says, "We had grace, we had style, we had conversation. Not this beep, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> Pretends he's on an iPhone. <laughs> we had art, films, books. They were all better. Originality mattered. You gave us face, Zucker, suck, and cock me, climaty, wiki, piss, and shit. You know, face, sucker suck. Obviously, talking about Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. Oh yeah. And climaty, wiki, piss, and shit. What? As in the stuff about human caused climate change and the sort of information that's on wiki." Is actually a load of shit. And then he kind of ends with saying, this is not over yet. Our sequel franchise spin-off. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. But this whole like, art films, books were all better. They were. Yes. Let's face it. Yeah. And similar to what we've talked about within reboot culture and stuff like that, you get this impression of that they can't even make art like that anymore. Where no. They've run out of ideas. Originality is in short supply. It's, it's, it's hard to not feel like that sometimes especially in something like Hollywood, for example.
1: Well, see, even as simple as your Apple phone, I mean, you got your Apple phone 6, your Apple phone 7, your yeah, Apple right. phone 8. Mm. See where I'm going with this?
0: Yeah, they all look pretty identical. It's not like the banana phone that we were talking about. Wow, this is radically different. I mean, something that we've seen recently is this Kanye West stem player, which was like, oh, that's pretty mad. That's, that's kind of crazy. Good example. It's like weird little jelly alien spaceship looking thing where you can press different buttons and solo different parts of the track out and stuff. Mm. Kind of gimmicky, but pretty cool that someone's just doing it. it. It feels like, well, that yeah, that's how things used to be. People just trying stuff, doing stuff for the sake of it. Mm, yeah. So what if it's ridiculously expensive to produce or something? It's a cool idea. Why not do it? You know, mini discs, like they didn't last,
1: but for a while it was like oh, a cool pff. thing that was
0: put out there.
1: Right. I mean, Why I not? I wonder if any of our listeners even remember the mini displayer. They were great. I had a I had a gorgeous like diamond blue one. Oh they always kind of really shiny metallic y didn't right. they?
0: And they had these like glass bulbs on the front of them and stuff. They they would look really futuristic even now. And this, this Kanye thing looks like something from 2001 Space Odyssey.
1: Yeah. Or a sex toy. It kind of looks a little bit like a sex toy. <laughs> I thought I
0: said I said I thought it
1: looked like a breast implant. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's where he got the inspiration from. The Kardashians. Sort of implants that like Kim had in her ass. You know what? I'd love it if I could just play beats on this. <laughs> <laughs> what one night, just looking at Kim's rumpus and thinking, this would be great to play music on. <laughs> the man's a genius.
0: No, but it's cool that he's trying new things. And I, I feel like that has died out a lot. And it's not gone unnoticed. No. In, in some conspiracy circles, people are saying this is done on, on purpose but maybe it's a case of they actually can't produce the type of art that they produce anymore because it is a different time and it is a different age and everything is connected in a way that we can't understand. So in, in the same way, like, could someone really recreate the type of art that people like Michelangelo would do? Like, could someone really paint the 16th chapel now? Yeah, so after the weird fight with King Hobo and his gang of <laughs> derelict goons... <laughs> Which was a bit weird. Neo then gets into a tussle with Smith, his boss, who is the embodiment of Smith. Different avatar, same code. And, yeah, they go crashing through the ground and they start having a... All-out session. Yeah, brawl. They start fighting, they're having a bit of dialogue. Smith kind of starts revealing that he's not happy with the analyst either. He starts saying that he used our bond and turned it into a chain. It's so obvious once you see it, right? So he's having an, an awakening as yeah, well. Yeah. I still don't know how he did it. You as a balding nerd, hilarious, and me, even more perfect, maybe a little too far on the piercing blue eyes. What do you think? He's obviously recognising the fact that he's just code... And he's a new avatar as well as Neo. He's laughing at
1: what they've made of Mm -hmm. Neo, but he's also saying... Well, they almost trivialised him by giving him the similar blue piercing eyes that Agent Smith had. So he's kind of... Well, he's upset as well that he's been trivialised.
0: Yeah, because now he's like a a more good-looking, like, cheesy version of Smith, (laughs) which people watching the trailer, for example, would have been like, "What that's supposed to be Smith. Exactly. It's like, well, yeah, that's part of his whole meta-film. Yeah, he goes on to say, I won't have his leash on my neck again, talking about the analyst. So you get the impression that although he's fighting Neo, really their common enemy is the analyst. And, yeah. and he's as unhappy about this situation as Neo is. And judging by that leash on my neck again comment, he sees himself as a slave. He is enslaved
1: to the Matrix, well, just the same as Neo. Just the way the first Agent Smith said to Neo in the first Matrix film... I need to get free, I need to break into Zion and destroy Zion so I don't have to be a sentient program patrolling the Matrix for killing people breaking out, is the whole thing, once again, Smith sees that he's a slave to his own masters within the Matrix.
0: Yeah.
1: Yet, obviously, the analyst has explained the whole nature of the relationship with Trinity, and he needs him to replug himself so they can stabilize the matrix. They escape back to Io. You know, we have the little scene with Niobe asking if anyone would be willing to. But she's talking to like sort of just some cruise ship ship members. It's not really that important. But it's more about the safety of Io. Would they really want to go out and try to try to save Tiffany because it could ultimately? And everyone steps up. Everyone steps up. Yeah, like she's she like, thinks one
0: person's going to step up or something. And all of them are like. They're not like ready for it. They're ready for it. they they are they waiting it. for this. they, they know the, they want some action. They know
1: the future is getting Tiffany and Neo. I still call her Tiffany <laughs> reunited, and obviously they can live in a better world for the people outside and inside the matrix. And they're up for a fight. They're up for a fight. always. Oh, this is a matrix film. I mean, where would it, what would it be without some bullets and some kung fu? So at that point, we have a little replug back into the matrix. It's that lovely scene back in the coffee shop and the analyst has sort of got a deal for Neo. He's I'll set up like Tony Montana, Turner, just sitting yeah. there, goons all to the left and right. of what I love is that the deal is if Tiffany or Trinity makes her mind up for herself that she wants to leave, that she believes that her purpose is with Neo and not with her family and her t- couple of breasts. Well, that's what Neo lays
0: down and the analyst is like, okay, all right. Because he's so confident that she won't. And he's kind of right. Because she arrives and before long, Daddy and the Brats turn up. Yeah. There's some kind of emergency. They're dragging her
1: away. But Just one look at that handsome Keanu Reeves face and... <sighs> Ooh. Thomas Anderson it was for Tiffany. So there's a bit
0: where she changes her mind. Is that when she sees Neo being... Them like surrounding him. <laughs> her, her knowing that actually the consequence of that choice was he's going to get destroyed. Yeah, destroyed, yeah. And then suddenly she grabs her husband's hand and says something along the lines of like, it's not Tiffany, yeah. it's Trinity, you know. And then nearly two hours into the movie, suddenly we've, we've got Trinity, finally. Finally <laughs> awakens. I mean, I, I, I can imagine a lot of people were disappointed with that. We've yeah. seen so much of that in all the other movies. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, I was
1: is, I was happy to wait for that. Well, it's like role reversal, you know. She had the front seat all the time, Trinity, being in all the fight scenes, all the bullet scenes. And in this film, you know, she's just got two little brats. But yeah, she, she like starts like kicking some ass
0: and they go uh, hell for leather. <laughs> hell for leather, yeah. In the coffee shop and then quickly escape on some bikes. Yeah. Well, on,
1: on a bike. In fact, just before they left the coffee shop after fighting with the analysts or sort of goon squad and they got all their fellow captains around them sort of fighting them as well. Smith reappears, isn't he, in front of the analysts saying, look, un- unfortunately, I would love to sort of team up and with you and try to destroy Neo, but you're a bigger problem to me than Neo. And in that moment, he just disappears into a patron in the shop, doesn't he? So you're aware like, oh, we can move between programmes now again, Smith. So that kind of alludes to you that he's obviously still quite a powerful force. You had that sort of big breakout and then probably arguably the best scene of the film in terms of action was the bike scene along the street. Yeah, well, suddenly, obviously, we know that the
0: new Matrix is full of bots. Yeah. Then bots can be, like, weaponized. Mm-hmm. So all the NPCs are suddenly, like... It's almost like a zombie army because they're not, like, running, are they? They're, like, like yeah. coming at Neo and Trinity. She comes along on the bike and he's, like, harp kind of thing. Yeah. And they're zooming down the highway and this, like, army of bots are, like, chasing them down the road. But then they also start flying out of the buildings yeah. and crashing through all the windows. Yeah, that was a great scene. And there's a line, like, he's turning butts into bombs. It's so, like, kamikaze bomber, like, terrorist bomber. It's really reminiscent of 9-11 as well, where people were jumping out of the buildings. At the towers, yeah. Mm. You know, the classic shot of the... um the Falling Man. The Falling Man. It's like the, the hangman tarot. And the fact that these people are being weaponized, so they are themselves, like, bombs. I mean, it's just, like, terrorist bombers. It was just kind of letting you know, like, hey, at any point, we can weaponize all these bots, all these programmed people it's kind of what we've seen happen in the covid era and the era that we're in now is the population being weaponized against itself people policing people yeah. and it's like a switch has been turned on 5g maybe <laughs> no <laughs> and suddenly people are grassing up their neighbors and they're having a go at people for not wearing a mask or, or obeying the rules like they they've become these agents of the matrix they have become weaponized mm. and obviously it was well I mean, uh, that was the first thing that came to my mind. I was like, oh my God. It's yes. like, a been bin Laden here if he'd really got his act together.
1: <laughs> so after our epic motorcycle chase scene all through the streets, being chased by hordes of NPC zombies, I think we we'll just call them those. <laughs> <laughs> they end up in that big apartment building and have that great scene at the top when Neo's got the helicopters on him and then they got to make the leap of faith. But it's more not a leap of faith for Neo, it's more for Trinity as, as a symbology to understand that the Matrix is fake. Whereas, you know, Neo has to be already aware that the Matrix is fake because he's trying to wake Trinity up. So that's quite symbolic, the jump they make. But before we get into that, we actually watched the stunt, didn't we? The yeah, ma- right, the, ma- the making of the it. The making of that. Now, they actually done that roof jump. Yeah, he, on on cord lines, <laughs> you jump off the roof. Yeah, on cord lines, but it was
0: effectively like a bungee jump. They really had to had to jump off the roof of a building, and yeah, it looked scary. And and it was at, at such a beautiful time of day, wasn't it? Just yeah. when like the sun all going down. Yeah, they took this leap, and yeah, after watching that, I did think, wow, that was actually a bit of movie magic there, because it shows in the scene because it looks really, really? real. Oh yeah. It didn't look like CGI. You really felt like they were making that jump because they were. Yeah. And then, of course, Trinity is flying, but Neo is completely fallen. And yeah, she's just she's, supporting him. Yeah. So it it wasn't really what you'd expect because Neo had already broken out. But he, maybe he didn't fully believe. He didn't. No. And it took her belief this time to support him. Mm.
1: But still, once again, the yin and the yang. Yes. And you yeah. need both.
0: The duality. Yeah.
1: yeah. Kind of the last scene of the film is them actually bashing through the wall of the analyst's house within the Matrix. They obviously reappear. We've had a little sort of screen black, and they love to do that. Give that last little final bit, final juice of the film. (laughs) Yeah, and then they confront the analyst. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. To tell him what a naughty boy he's been.
0: I love it as well. The first thing that Trinity says, they swoop in, and the analyst says, how dramatic. And then she just looks at him and goes, Tiffany... (laughs) <laughs> is to say really Tiffany exactly what we were saying earlier like oh my god you, you know Trinity to Tiffany and then he, he kind of says oh an amusement that's all and she's like oh an amusement hmm? waxing around the face kind of like that it's great she kind of gives him a real like beating around like this one's for using children smack <laughs> yeah she throws him about the place yeah it kind of like for me at that point I was sort of having my own personal fantasies of like yeah this is how I'd like to Get everyone that's responsible for the pandemic or the cabal yeah. the
1: globalists. I wouldn't mind phoning Chris Whitty from wall to wall
0: <laughs> yeah this is for the kids
1: <laughs> this one's for the OAPs. please
0: smack <laughs> felt like justice yeah. at the end yeah. just the type of justice I like vigilante style justice on the analyst who is a cocky little swine He even turns to Neo and says, can't you control her? (laughs) But she's smacking him around. (laughs) But he's still cocky as ever. And he says to him, right now, you're feeling good about what you've done. You should. It was a victory. Bravo. Now what? You've come here to negotiate some kind of deal. You think you hold all the cards because you can do whatever you want in this world. I say, go for it. Remake it. Knock yourselves out. Paint the sky with rainbows. But here's the thing, the sheep aren't going anywhere. They like my world. They don't want this sentimentality. They don't want freedom or empowerment. They want to be controlled. They crave the comfort of certainty. That means you two, back in your pods, unconscious and alone, just like them. This whole line really just reminds you of people in the COVID era. Yeah. That giving up all their freedoms for the fake sense of security, just to hold on to what they've got. You know, if I just do what I'm told by
1: authority, everything will go back to normal. You know, whether it be I just wear a mask or I get a jab that's been untested. If I do this one thing, I'll get all my freedoms back. Maybe even a cookie as well on the side. Well, like we said before, it's
0: always fear or desire. So some kind of reward, whether that be a Krispy Kreme or a lap dance or a free lottery ticket or McDonald's or whatever else they were offering. None of them healthy things, (laughs) if you notice. (laughs) But it's all about health. Of course. Or... The other side of it, the fear side, where they were threatening, well, you won't be able to work, you won't be able to travel, you won't get certain privileges. Again, not about health, but
1: yeah, Yeah, none of it is. But yeah, they then
0: go on to say, we're not here to negotiate anything. We were on our way to remake your world, change a few things. I kind of like the paint the sky with rainbows idea. Just remind people what a free mind can do. I forgot, it's easy to forget. He makes it easy, that he does, something he should think
1: about. They got real like, back and forth at that point. <laughs> They're really giving him... In... Oh, yeah. Like Neo and Trinity are doing like, the one, too. Good cop, bad cop. Yeah, up, really, yeah. Really yeah. on the analyst. <laughs> Before we got started,
0: we decided to stop by to say thank you. You gave us something we never thought we could have. And the analyst says, and what's that? Another chance. And that is the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a great ending little bit of dialogue and ending line.
1: Another well, chance. Was the another chance... If not enough people got the message or understood what happened from the first Matrix trilogy, is this full film the second chance people get to hopefully waken themselves up? Breaking out the Matrix.
0: Yeah. You tried it the first time just before 9-11, that didn't
1: work. This could be another chance. (laughs) We'll test people's minds in the middle of a pandemic and see how fatigued they've been. So, yeah, Trinity and Neo fly
0: off together and it's the same Rage Against the Machine song that plays at the end of the first one, but this time, same, same, but different. It's yeah. actually a bad copy, <laughs> a bad cover version. Yeah, not sure one. who buy it, but it's not as good.
1: That you know it was that bad I didn't even bother looking up to see who'd done the cover no <laughs> I think it was a woman singing it as well not that that made it bad it was just a terrible no but again it's sort <coughs> of like well
0: now yes. it's Trinity's turn so we're going to do the same rage song but with a woman singing it that's what I meant just not the same as nothing same. against women just, Honest. Not, just not the same as Zach de la Rocha. that's all I'm saying no but I think a lot of people would see this as like a Sappy ending or maybe a bit of a cheesy ending, but I do think the overall message is a deeply profound one, which is essentially love conquers all, which it sounds really fucking cheesy. Definitely. And it even sounds a bit cheesy when Bob Marley or John Lennon or someone says it, but you have to kind of remind yourself of it because it's not cheesy. It, it, It really is the answer to everything, whether people like it or not and with the rainbow line especially like when they say oh we paint the sky a rainbow so i think a lot of people will read it as like lana's own journey of personal self discovery and acceptance of who she really is and her and her transitioning but i think it's deeper than that i think it's about learning to love yourself your authentic self which is relatable to anyone yeah. you know you don't have to be part of the lgbt community or someone that's come out to learn about actually just being me is okay No. That's something that a lot of people can
1: relate to. Self-discovery isn't about necessarily a journey through sexuality, uh, religion, or even through social society. Self-discovery is more about you. Yeah, and and being your authentic self, or being the best version of
0: yourself, Mm -hmm. is part of having an awakening and trying to be a better person and live a better life and and a deeper life. It's about having your own mind and following your own heart and speaking your own truth, no matter the consequences, because you recognise that doing anything other than that really isn't an an option if you want to be free and not just a slave to the matrix. And that's on an individual level. And I think on a collective level, there's a powerful message there too. And it's something that Einstein talked about when he said, no problem can be solved with the same level of consciousness that created it. You know, we're not Mm going to beat this globalist or new world order agenda, whatever you want to call it while we're locked into the same low-level frequencies as the people that are trying to control us, i.e. hatred, fear. We don't want to go to war with these people. We simply want to write our own story. want compassion and love and understanding for one another. You know, rather than fighting against the Great Reset, we really want to create our own Great Awakening. It's,
1: it's not necessarily just stopping and staying where we are. Oh, let's stop the Great Reset. Well, where can we go from there? Why do we just have to stop it? We could go completely the other way. Yeah. That's what they don't want us to do.
0: We have to rise above all that. And just like Neo and Trinity at the end when they're rising up, flying off at the end of the movie, you know, we need to let our hearts and our minds soar. We have the power individually and as a collective to envision our own future and the type of future we want our kids and future generations to grow up in. We can do it. It's just like Neo and Trinity said to the analysts, like, it's easy to forget You make it easy to forget. That's true. That is very true. You know, the powers that be make it easy to forget that actually, if we want to change this matrix that we live in, our society, anytime we want, we can. I hope you enjoyed that episode of The Schism. We've got plenty more episodes on the way. In the meantime, follow us on our Instagram at schism.tv and keep watching the skies.